0: All right, everyone, stop what you're doing. Put everything down. (laughs) Please. Put your hands at your sides. And and, unless you're driving, please, if you're driving, please be safe.
1: Everyone who's driving 10 and 2, everyone at home, be be wherever you want
0: to on the clock. Exactly. And just stand perfectly still because we are here. (laughs) We are back with the official Star Trek podcast. That is Star Trek, the pod directive. I am one of your co-hosts. Tawny Newsom.
1: I am the other of your co-hosts, Paul Lef Tompkins, and we have a very fun episode today with the creator of Star Trek Lower Decks, Mike McMahon. Now, Tawny, full disclosure, mm. we have to put this out there. We got to. You're a cast member of that show.
0: Yes, yes, legally we're not trying yes. to. We're not trying to fool anybody. Nope. this is not some payola nepotism, you know. I mean, maybe it is nepotism. I got this job because I had that job. Is that nepotism? Or is that just two jobs?
1: (laughs) That's just having two jobs.
0: What's the difference between nepotism and just having two jobs?
1: I think you have to be someone's nephew if you have the two jobs. That's nepotism.
0: Oh, really? It's literally a nephew. Okay. Well, I'm no one's nephew. (laughs) There you go.
1: Then you're clear from all charges of nepotism.
0: Thank you. I'm so glad I pled not guilty.
1: Nepotism literally means nephew job.
0: You know how many nephews I've worked with in Hollywood? Everybody's somebody's nephew.
1: (laughs) Man, That is a true statement, Donnie, if you
0: think about it. <laughs> you know who is no one's nephew as far as I'm concerned? That's Mike McMahon. He may have That's right. an aunt or uncle, but it's of no consequence to me. All I need to know about the man is that I like him. We've become friends through this process. He's a fantastic showrunner, creator, writer, funny person. He's just a good dude who loves Star Trek, um, as you'll yeah. hear in this interview, but Truly, like if I can just toot the mic horn for a little while, he is someone who is so excited and enthusiastic about Star Trek. And he is equally as enthusiastic towards folks who know very little about it as he is to people who know a lot who he can kind of go back and forth with. Like we have a, a wide range in our cast of different levels of fandom, and he greets everyone, you know, he meets everyone at their level. And recording with him was just such a blast. I don't know how people work with people they don't like.
1: <laughs> well, I'll tell you, Tony, in my experience, it's because of the money.
0: Ah, interesting. Okay. <laughs> Got it.
1: The money's there as a reminder.
0: <laughs> sure, sure.
1: <laughs> like you work with people. Let me tell you, having worked with people that I've despised, um, mm-hmm. a lot of times you'll find yourself saying, why am I doing this? And then your stomach will rumble and you're like, that's right, money. I need <laughs> money for food.
0: Your stomach will rumble. This is very Dickensian all of a sudden.
1: Well, it's when I was in that production of Oliver Twist and I
0: (laughs) hated the cast. Well, Paul, I'm glad to know that I was not the person you're referring to that you didn't like working with. We oh. famously worked together in a show called Bajillion Dollar Properties. And I, similarly to me meeting Mike McMahon on this job and us becoming friends, you and I became friends.
1: I feel like this is a pattern with you. It's like you work with people and then you become their friends. Is that true?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I try to be like a fun person to be around and then I try to make friends with my coworkers. <laughs> is that weird? Are you a work friend praying mantis? Oh man, I'm I guess I've been found out. I'm sorry. (laughs) Speaking of friendship, we have to talk about the ultimate friendship of all, which is Twitter. Um, (laughs) It was seamless and flawless, and you know it, and you loved it. You know, after we interviewed Mike, uh,
1: as a lot of these interviews was a a million years ago, um, before Mm -hmm. Lower Decks was even finished, I think it was still being, had it even started yet?
0: (laughs) No, we were recording. He was in the thick of it, as you will yeah. hear in the interview. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. is embroiled in the work.
1: <laughs> and he's he's so thrilled to talk about it and, and has so much joy in talking about it. But when it was about to, I think when it, after the first episode aired, somebody had tweeted to him, oh, you should have Paul F. Tompkins on as a weird alien. Yeah. And Mike said, uh, sure. Sure. And I immediately jumped in there and said, I'm gonna hold you to that. Yeah. <laughs> and then he said online, like, no, we'll reach out to your, we'll reach out to your reps. We'd love to have you on the show. And I was like, Well, this is not how this works, but I'm glad that it's working this way now. And um, I got an offer like the next day. So I got to be on an episode that is coming up. And it was a joy to do. It was so much fun. I love the way my character looks. Fingers crossed, recurring character, we'll see. Um, but it was it was so nice of Mike to do.
0: We need him back. When, once you all meet Paul's <laughs> character, uh, he's pretty fun and ridiculous. We need that guy back.
1: It was a blast to do, and I have to say, I feel like this is a safe place to do this without it seeming disingenuous. I really love the show. I think it's terrific. It's I even when we talked to Mike, I knew that it would be a comedy show and that it would be funny, but I didn't know that it would hold up as a. It would also really work as a Star Trek show. Like the stories mm. are great. They're really well done. They they just feel like so much. It's so strange that this animated comedy where the, the characters are very, they're very cartoon looking. They're not like, you know, uh, photorealistic, <laughs>
2: you know, sure, it's sure, not sure. like
1: rotoscope <laughs> animation. But that it feels, it feels like a real canonical Star Trek show. It's done so well, and I can't believe that it was pulled off the way it was. And uh, at the risk of embarrassing you, I will say that you are so great on the show. And I couldn't believe. I'm Well, I took that risk. (laughs) Life is risk. Uh, You know, listening to you uh, when you were talking on a previous episode of ours about how you auditioned for Lower Decks, I had no idea. You never told me that. I didn't know that it was an audition. I assumed that they built that character for you and built the show around you because it fits you so well. You bring it such life and such um such fun and so much of yourself is in it it's it's just fantastic
0: oh thanks paul i also love this version of me in your head where people build roles for me
1: that's how i think it should be that's how Amen. i think it should be
0: i'll take it but no this was very much a straight up audition with A lot of famous women in the waiting room that uh, (laughs) I just went rogue because I was like, well, they're either going to like this or they're going to want the famous person. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, thank you. That's so sweet. And I again, I'm going to throw it. I'm going to take the embarrassment of your praise and throw it back on Mike, his collaboration and just like team spirit of wanting to make it, you know, for all of us, wanting to make it really fit us and fit our voices and our cadence and the way we speak. That's why, like, that's why the roles are good. That's why they have a lot of heart because they are easier to play because he works with all of us. Um, So yeah, it's been one of the greatest jobs to have.
1: It really comes through. It's just such a fun show. I'm really excited that it's, uh, that it's out there in the world and, and it was great talking with Mike and I'm sure he feels The way I feel about it, a million times more.
0: (laughs) All right. Let's hear uh, that conversation with uh, my boy, Mike McMahon, right after this break. We are so excited to bring you this week's guest, Mike McMahon, showrunner, creator, king, I guess, of the (laughs) new Star Trek animated series, Star Trek Lower Decks.
1: Which is the second Star Trek animated series.
0: Yeah. He's no stranger to absurdity or unhinged things happening. He served as writer and producer on the animated series Rick and Morty. And he also originated the popular Twitter account TNG Season 8, which chronicled imaginary episodes from an unaired eighth season of TNG. So, Mike, thank you for being on our our little show Hey,
3: thank you for having me, guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. Our catchphrase. Our catchphrase is absolutely. I was wondering if you were going to use it, and it was third
0: word, and I love this. Now, Mike... Correct me if I'm wrong. You got famous writing TNG season eight, correct? Uh, I got mega famous. <laughs> okay, I think cool. I'd say um,
3: mm-hmm. I splashed onto the Star Trek scene when mm-hmm. I was an assistant about eight years ago, I think. When I was writing spec scripts to try to get a job as a writer, mm-hmm. and I started getting really upset that nobody wanted to read my Star Trek spec script because it hadn't been on in decades, and right. also they <laughs> not every like my manager at the time was like can you not write something that takes place in space? And I was like, I literally don't know if I can. Uh, And so I channeled that into writing at TNG Season 8. synopses of episodes that were never made, right? Yes, exactly. It was was fake A-story, B-stories. It kind of looked like a uh, TV guide format. Like you might see that little blurb uh, coming up this week on Star Trek, The Next Mm -hmm. Generation. Data gets a dog and then loses it, but doesn't want to admit it. Um, (laughs) Classic. Yeah, classic episode. And for me... You know, the thing I loved about Star Trek was the B stories, like Mm -hmm. Picard fighting an alien plant and then finding out that the plant, you know, was just trying to become his friend and wasn't trying to infect him. Like, fine. Great. Big 30 minute A story. (laughs) And then like the little 10 minute story of like Data's trying to do watercolors, but keeps burning himself somehow. (laughs) Like that's, that's what I was living for. And so in these TNG season eight episodes that I was tweeting I would come up with something that would sound like the first sentence would always sound like a legitimate Star Trek thing, like mm-hmm. a new one, too. Yeah, And then the second part would always be a ludicrously heightened <laughs> thing like that, like Data gets trapped on a table because he's afraid of a barking dog, you know, like, yeah. right. and then your mind fills in where you go from there.
0: It's a good comedic
3: formula. Mm-hmm. It felt like very great. satisfying. Oh, once you find a formula that you like too, mm-hmm. yeah. you're just like, oh, this is now I only have to be funny, not smart. You, you called know? me out
0: for my Twitter formula the other day. <laughs> oh, no. Did I? No, oh, yeah. You're, the you're bang. bang you're yeah. right. You call it a bang bang. <laughs> yeah. You do one and then you do another. <laughs> he says I do a tweet and then I second guess it or I berate the audience in a second tweet. <laughs> Almost instantly. <laughs>
3: she like tweets something
0: funny and then she goes alright okay <laughs> cause it gets like four likes and I'm like F <laughs> you guys you yeah. suck
3: <laughs> yeah whatever
0: <laughs> we all gotta have a formula
3: it's true no I loved writing that formula and enough people followed it very very fast cause it was very shareable which I didn't quite understand like the Star Trek people of which I am one mm-hmm. when you get a new Star Trek you share it and you wanna talk about it like 10% is watching it and enjoying it by yourself and then ninety percent is discussing it, sharing it, arguing about it, right. talking about what it could have done. Other than that, like, mm-hmm. what would you have done? This, that, this, that. And so, you know, Twitter is so shareable, and just like people would get those, and they would celebrate as if an actual episode came out. Yeah. Oh, like, I love it. Every time I posted, they'd be like, "Finally!" Like, <laughs> <laughs> like they've been waiting by their computer for the. Well, because they've been I'm,
0: waiting I'm, since the nineties. Yeah, and, right and, I'm, and
3: I'm sure you were
1: getting responses from people often. They were like.
0: That's actually a pretty good story. Oh, I was
1: getting
3: that, but even better, I'd get people going, "Did, did that... Like, they didn't yeah. know it was a joke. Uh,
0: They'd be right, like, I don't right. remember
3: that. And I'd right. be like, it only aired in Canada. And they're like, oh.
0: oh uh, huh. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, when you say some of the real plots, like O'Brien being haunted by a Rumpelstiltskin, oh. it does sound like, it sounds oh, Well, Beverly Still falling skin. in love with a lamp, yeah. like a classic. Yeah, the, You're right. Girls Trip did steal that from, from Star Trek.
3: <laughs> and it was weirdly before, there was a moment where Twitter was big, but streaming hadn't really gotten big. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was tweeting Star Trek stuff when the only other way you could watch Star Trek was still through a channel that was airing it.
0: Or if you own the DVDs. Or if you yeah. bought the DVDs, yeah. the box
3: sets. Yeah. And so there was still the real feeling of impermanence, of mm-hmm. like, oh, when these things happen, it's special little pops. Mm-hmm. It just felt like TV. It's just really, it's really fascinating. Yeah. And that's, I think I'm really lucky. There was this kind of dark ages of Star Trek where it was like, Enterprise had aired, and then there was this big gap, and then the first trailer for the J.J. movies came out, and everybody lost their minds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even generational. It was you know the young and, and, and the fans who had grown up with it. And, and if you have a passion for it, somebody will listen to you, and if you have a, like a, a, a specific view of what you want to do, there's a chance that you actually get to make it again.
2: Yeah, yeah. And
3: that wasn't available for decades. Mm-hmm. I'm re- I feel really, really lucky to be involved in it right now.
1: There is something, too, about whenever there's a new property that comes out, if it's uh, Discovery or Picard or Lower Decks, that it brings back to life the entire canon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that it doesn't feel like all the previous continuity doesn't feel like a show that's not on the air anymore. It brings it right back into the present, like all of it at the same time, which is kind of magical.
3: If it appears to be magic, it's probably just science. We don't understand. That's right. That's right. No, you're exactly right. And that's a big priority when we're writing on the show that I that I created because I've sold other comedies before and you, when you're creating a show from the ground up, there's all this mm-hmm. stuff you have to do, right? You have yeah. to like create the characters and where do they live and where do they return to and where the story is going to inhabit and what are their flaws and, and how do they disagree and why... Why do you want to both invite a show into your house, and also why are you driven at the end of every episode to come back? Like mm-hmm. all this stuff that's already hard, and you have to be funny on top of that, and unexpected, and da 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 da. With Star Trek, it's all of that, and how do you not turn your back on all of the stuff that came before—movies, mm-hmm. TV, books, comics, guides, schematics—that I had when I was a kid? Like <laughs> you don't have to like slog through it every episode but how do you write a comedy that feels like it takes that as canon history for the characters there as well?
2: Yeah. yeah.
3: And when I staffed up Lower Decks, the writers for Lower Decks, it was 99% comedy writers who had some relationship with Trek, and then what we did is every night we would all watch a Trek episode together as if it was airing. Mm. We kind of created our own Star Trek network where like nightly a new episode would air, and then we'd all come and discuss it like around the water cooler the next day. And everybody yeah. had little different takes and stuff. But it kept us aware that we were not creating something in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. We were creating something that has already had an explosion of life and growth and character and stuff that, that is important to us and other people. And then, how do we keep building on that? And mm-hmm. that's, you know, there's no bad series of Star Trek. Like, you can have favorite episodes and episodes you don't like as much, but there's no series that you skip Right. And even if you claim, like, there's somebody listening out there who's like, well, actually, I don't watch da-da-da. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, yeah, guess what? You're going to watch it. You have to. (laughs) And you're going to find episodes in it that you're like, I wish the whole series was like this or whatever. Mm -hmm. but like, Yeah, yeah.
0: elements of it that you're like, actually, this is really cool.
3: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's because the format of Star Trek is so brilliant. Like, the thing that Roddenberry came up with is so perfect that it transcends different eras, different ways to tell it, Mm-hmm. Like, there's nothing else like it. Mm-hmm. Star Trek's the only one where it's like, oh, we're going to do a new movie with Spock and with Kirk, but it's in a new timeline mm-hmm. and purposefully doesn't destroy what came before it. Like, that's just awesome.
2: Yeah.
0: I was surprised at how easily it pivoted to comedy, like, in your hands. I really was impressed because I, I mean, Star Trek and comedy, I was like, well, this these are my interests, perfectly aligned. Right? How's that going to work? And then seeing it, I was like, oh, it works very well.
3: You know, when I first pitched the show, they knew that I'd worked on Rick and Morty. And I went in thinking, okay, Star Trek is really serious. I don't have a relationship with Star Trek that's just a flat out serious one. I'm the B-story guy, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And so I went in and I was like, listen, the hard thing here isn't figuring out how to make Star Trek a comedy. Because Star Trek has had comedic elements from the get-go, especially once Trouble with Tribbles aired. And the story and the characters combined to tell this purposefully funny tale. And that's why I think people have such a soft spot for it. Mm -hmm. Because it's the chocolate cookie and the cream filling. Like, it's like, you get your real Star Trek and you get the comedy in it. And then you get the journey home, the one with the whales. Mm -hmm. And that's the first time that, like, oh, you've got your favorite Star Trek crew and you know those characters now and they're going back in time and you're having these comedic moments of them in the present day for the audience, but like seeing them be the fish out of water for once Yeah, in Undiscovered Country, which might be my favorite Star Trek movie. It's really good. It's so good. It's really good, yeah. There's that part where, where, where they kick an alien in the balls. And it's funny. <laughs> That's some classic comedy right there. It is classic. Uh, I mean, they kick him in the shin and it turns out to be his balls. And, and as a kid, when I was watching that, I was like, wow. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the actors in TOS were very like, They were actors. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And they took it very seriously. And they did an amazing job. And then sometimes... Paul
0: and I know exactly what you're talking about. This Mm -hmm. is how we approach every role in hushed tones. That's
3: why I knew you too. I Mm -hmm. can tell. Mm -hmm. I always say I'm serious and Mm -hmm. I'm going to do an amazing job. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I think like at the time when those serious actors would then sometimes be funny on purpose, it was even funnier because it was like even more surprising, right? Like they stayed ahead of you. Yeah. So then TNG hits and that group, those actors are still known as the funny guys.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, they all
3: liked each other. Frakes is a big joker. Yeah, they were loose. You know, Spiner's funny. Yeah. You can still read him on on, on Twitter and he's still going. And like, you know, they're still all friends decades later like they still hang like you know LeVar Burton can throw down like,
1: oh yeah <laughs> yeah I interviewed him once and I said we start each interview with a with a blind question and he immediately said is that a Star Trek reference oh
3: uh, uh, he's
0: been getting it for so long oh yeah I was like oh, yeah. trying
1: to avoid anything like that yeah <laughs> and then yeah, he yeah. brought it god
0: yeah.
3: it must be so cool to famously be blind and not be blind like
0: that must be really <laughs> weird god it must just bring the worst and most annoying comments uh,
3: all those years of not being able to see but being able to see because I had an implant <laughs> it truly was a hardship. yeah it's, anyway so you know you've got these little moments all throughout Tng that are intrinsically funny like data is funny mm-hmm. you know it's his childlike sense of naivete that that when he doesn't know something when he doesn't know how to tell a joke and he's working with Piscopo to learn <laughs> how to tell a joke, like that was funny, I guess I
0: uh, or I or, guess or,
3: <laughs> I think maybe like data's comedy has lasted a little longer than Piscopo.
0: Honestly, maybe. Maybe? Who knows? He's probably looking back
3: being like, I should have toured with Data. And the um, a lot of Worf moments. Like, Worf is from a warrior class. We have this character who will beg to be put to death because he broke his spine. And, like, the whole episode is him like, kill me! And then, and then in the next episode, he loves prune juice. Yeah. And they're playing it for us to laugh. And the comedy's all in these really likable places, like Captain Picard getting stuck with Captain Picard Day or getting trapped in the elevator with little kids and Mm -hmm. there's all these moments in TNG that are like, they're played for comedy and they work. And when they work, it's so magical because it's this mix of people who are drama writers and these actors that know what they're doing. And they are finding these moments intentionally that just make you love them even more. And so that character based comedy is what I'm really drilling into. So I went in for this pitch and I was like, listen, everybody has a different relationship with Star Trek. It speaks to so many different people about different things. Mm -hmm. And that's part of what makes it great. And to me specifically, as a comedy guy and as a writer and as a big nerd, the thing that speaks to me is the comedic aspects. And mm-hmm. when I pitched Lower Decks, I was like, here's the trick. You don't have to figure out how it's going to be funny. That's already built in. But for the characters to be funny, like, what are their comedic flaws? Like, how right. can somebody be in Starfleet and be flawed in a way that feels grounded and relatable, Relatable yeah. Yeah, like, Morty's a moron, you know? Like, yeah. it's really easy to write Morty and Jerry. It's really fun, sure. especially for me, because I just write myself into them. And then for Dan Harmon on Rick and Morty, like, writing Rick seems to be kind of easy for him, because he's also, like, a mad scientist genius and, and like, a troubled, crazy dude, and Rick's a troubled, crazy dude. Mm-hmm. But, like, you don't buy those characters in
0: Starfleet. Right. Mm-hmm. You and have to be competent and still funny.
3: You have to be, like, the best of us, yeah, right? Like, you have yeah. to be aspirationally... And ethically and morally capable mm-hmm. in ways that an audience feels like is Star Trek. Like, mm-hmm. that's intrinsically cooked into it.
0: Yeah. Which is such a great way to approach comedy because the other way is easy. Yeah. Not to shade anything anything else, but it is easier to make dumb, silly, you know, moronic, bumbling characters funny. It's hard to make smart people. It's hard
3: to make smart people and not punch down on them. That was exactly. the other big thing yeah. is that Star Trek is inclusive and it's a celebration. Right. And so the intrinsic comedy from Lower Decks comes from people who are ethically and scientifically incredibly advanced, who are all very, very smart, but Star Trek is also about humans. Like Mm -hmm. there's always humanity being investigated, Mm -hmm. whether it's Data wishing he were more human or Q showing up to judge humans or Picard, you know, finding rules and then being like, as a human, do I follow the rules blindly or is it my humanity that I can bend them and make decisions? Is that why I'm here instead of a bunch of, you know, automated things? And so, leaning into that, the characters on Lower Decks are all totally Starfleet, but their flaws are based in stuff like, oh, I follow the rules too much. I haven't learned when to pivot. (laughs) They mean the best and they're on a path, but then like, they can't pivot when something goes wrong. And it's like yeah. watching them get frustrated by that because they're still human. Mm-hmm.
0: Or, or or, like Rutherford, if I could pitch go one. Go yeah. I, I love the way you've handled Rutherford's kind of comedic flaw because he's recently gotten a cyborg implant. And Rutherford's played by Eugene Cordero. And he isn't used to the implant yet. So it's like the comedic flaw doesn't come from him being bad at something or something not working. Because that doesn't always ring true as Starfleet when things are like done wrong. It's more that it's like we never get to see the character at the start of a new venture, like having an implant like that. So it's the transition period and it's the getting used to it. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Because when you see somebody in Star Trek who's like Geordi with his visor, he's had that for a long time before you've met him.
0: Mm -hmm. And
3: in fact, in all sci-fi, you never meet a guy who got the cyborg implant that day. Right. You know, <laughs> and there's just something about technology is always changing for us that I feel like everybody can understand. Wait, how do I use the new phone? It had a button last year. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And if <laughs> that's built into your face. Absolutely. And there's also an element of, you know, our Star Trek's for lower decks are 20 something minutes long. So mm-hmm. we pack a whole Star Trek story into what they usually have double the amount of time for. Right. The engineering mysteries and problems are solved by the end of the 40 minutes mm-hmm. by like brilliance, right? Mm-hmm. But since our guys are lower decks, like, they're not the chief engineer, having a chief engineer in Starfleet implies that there are people who aren't chief yet. Right. You know, they're not that rank, but they're also not that ability. And so with Rutherford, who's our engineer in the group, what we realized is we don't have to have him solve the problems at the end of every episode. But we don't want to make it because he's not good at stuff. And we had a long discussion about science isn't about always getting it right. So every time our guys fail... It's because they're trying something and then it doesn't work. It's not their failure. Mm-hmm. And then they learn from it. They don't always have to win, but it's scientific method. Mm-hmm. It's like they try something. It doesn't work. They change their behavior. They're learning. And that ends up still feeling Star Trek.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: My big concern was,
1: will this feel very Star
0: Trek? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the uniforms alone. You see the uniforms and you're on uh, board.
1: True. It goes a long way. Well, that
3: mythology really way. helps us. And the only thing I'm worried about is it's so new. And surprising mm. that I'm worried that the, I think I'm taking a sip of my water, but I accidentally picked up a Sprite effect is going to happen, <laughs> where the yeah, second you think you're you drinking it,
0: shock. and you're like, oh, it's poison, you yeah. know? And then you're like, no, wait. <laughs> no, wait. I this just is didn't expect I like it. Yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, I'm also worried people will think you've poisoned us.
3: Well, luckily, <laughs> I think the trick, instead of trying to solve this problem, mm. I have to calcify my soul against worrying about it Mm Sure. because when star trek came out it got canceled and when tos yeah Mm -hmm. and then people fell in love with it during syndication Mm -hmm. and then when tng came out everybody was like this ain't my star trek
0: oh every time where's my kirk yeah. You know, Deep where's Space my Nine, it's like, they're stationary? This is <laughs> it' Star Trek. <laughs> you
3: can't be stationary in space. That's crazy. You have to constantly move. And now they're like, Voyager, you you've it. gone too far? That's not Star it's Trek. It's moving too much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want it exactly the it's amount of moving very, I'm used to. Very
0: Goldilocks. <laughs> yeah.
3: And then you see the same thing with Disco. They're like, serialized? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Action elements? I hate entertainment. And then, like, mm-hmm. eventually they're like, I like this. Because you get all of it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like, you don't sit down at Thanksgiving dinner and go, why isn't this all turkey? I mean, I do, but I know most people don't.
0: (laughs) You're a real turkey head, though. You're a fiend for turkey. turkey. (laughs) It's
3: just so moist. And so what I have to get used to is, like every other iteration of Star Trek, it's going to take a minute for people to watch it and be like, oh, this is what it is. And it knows what it is, Mm -hmm. you know? And that we don't hold anybody's hand at the beginning. Like, we jump right into it and we're like, it's Star Trek, but it's funny and it's fast and it's animated, you know? I live with fear in my heart. You guys, <laughs> we all do. Think, That's just like, Los Angeles, I think. Yeah. <laughs> what was your What was your in to Star Trek? So for me, it was TNG. TNG, okay. Yeah, it was in the eighties and nineties, and I like I va- I vaguely remember on my like my screen that had like static on it, my CR, you know, like mm-hmm, the old mm-hmm. like I remember vaguely Data in a tree, and I was like, I think it was from the pilot because yeah. like I think Data's like either Data or Riker's in a tree and Riker goes like, hey, Pinocchio. Like, yeah. I think
1: Data's, I remember Data's that. Data's leaning against a tree. He's trying to whistle. Pop goes the weasel. Yes. Well, He's yeah. very sassy in those early episodes. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. They had How to do dial, you humans do that?
0: They <laughs> to dial down the personality. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. A couple, <laughs> couple seasons in. <laughs> How
3: do you humans do this
0: is something I do mutter on a daily
2: basis. <laughs>
3: um,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Mike, would you have been as interested to work on a Star Trek show, if it had still been a comedy, but if it had been live action?
3: Oh, 100%. I did a, uh, I did a live action short with Rain Wilson for mm-hmm. um, Secret Hideout in uh, uh, one of the short tracks for his Harry Mudd character, mm-hmm. and it was heaven. We got to go to Toronto and like actually be on the sets. Like,
0: That's cool. It was
3: amazing. I, I FaceTimed my, my, at the time, three-year-old from the sets and was like, hey, buddy, sorry, I, I'm not going to be home to put you to bed tonight. I'm in space on a Star Trek ship and you scared the hell out of that child he was like oh hell yes I want to come yeah <laughs> that's good <laughs> yeah the the second child would have been like come home but this <laughs> yeah. one was like dangerous ah, 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 <laughs> yeah um, but yeah I mean it's awesome I think it really comes down to you hope it's gonna work and I think a lot of it is the casting and not mm-hmm. to like toot the tawny horn toot the so the hoping horn, for man. one more T mm,
0: I don't know toot the trumpet. trumpet 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 uh, trumpet <laughs> toot the tawny trombone Tony Trump, it's funnier. <laughs> Don Bones. <laughs> we can workshop this. We can. We'll work on it later. Absolutely. Yeah.
3: Um, but writing it and then working with you and Huge and Jack Quaid and Jack Quaid is so good. Just everybody on Lower Decks. You guys elevate it to a place that's both funnier but feels more Star Trek to me. Yeah. And then we get stuff that's that I wouldn't have thought of. Like when I'm like, "Oh, Tony's going to make this better." If I then try to write the dialogue on the page in a way that I think she's going to make better. <laughs> I then have to be like, oh no 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 no, delete that. <laughs> Just put it put it in the way that I like, because if I try to, d- I know she'll see that and be like, I'm not saying this. I've <laughs> like,
0: never thought that. I've never. Well, yeah, because I'm like watching out you. Out no, I'm always like, oh they're so funny, and then they let me also say whatever I want, and not to sound the showrunner. Uh, Sar- Sarmonica. There we go. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess you can say we've done it. Um, <laughs> Um, but truly, no, to your credit, like you, uh, you've you created a space where I can absolutely come in and be myself, but also know I'm 100% supported if I don't have any great ideas. <laughs> if I just showed up and read what was on the page, it would be a fantastic show. But you also let me do whatever I want, and I constantly tell people it's the best job I've ever had. Oh, thank you. And we get done in like an hour, so I'm like, we go fast. this is yeah. the best thing ever.
3: <laughs> Every show is really different when it comes to the cast stuff, right? And And for Lower Decks, I've kind of cribbed a lot of what works on my favorite Rick and Morty's, mm-hmm. where... We get everything as is on the page, Mm -hmm. and then you guys know the characters well enough that then we let you do a couple takes that are just, like, anything you want. But then sometimes you're just like, I'm like, just do a wild one. And you're like, um, um, and then something funny comes out that neither of us know is going to come. That really helps with making the show feel alive and human. Yeah. And especially with animation, we're like, literally everything is being drawn. Like, everything on the screen, like, you don't accidentally have a prop in an animated show. There's a props Mm -hmm. department where they're drawing, and then I'm having to approve a label on a Ractigeno can. You know what I mean?
1: (laughs) (laughs) When you record, does the cast record all together or individually?
3: We have done moments where if there's going to be, like, a bickering fight between two people, we'll record them individually and then together. yeah. And then we'll kind of, like, edit, like, the it, it, when it crescendos, we'll kind of maybe use the audio from both of them. Right. But...
0: I noticed Jack and I did a few, uh, Jack Who Plays Boimler... And I did a few of those bickering fights together and it just gets off the rails so fast. It must be a nightmare (laughs) for you to, uh, it's uh, it's uh, fast.
3: But if we have the clean versions of the individual, like then we can, you can put it together. Yeah.
1: If people don't know, it's very rare that in voiceover in animation that people get to record together. Yeah. Uh, It happens sometimes, but it's, it's the, it's the exception rather than the norm. So anytime you get to have more than one actor together
3: in a room, it, it does change the energy significantly. Yeah. And that's, that kind of speaks to, to why do an animated Star Trek? Yeah. You know, and that's not a question I get asked a lot. And it was my biggest concern at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Cause again, I knew that comedy Star Trek was going to be fine because yeah. I had also mm-hmm. been writing it in Twitter form. Mm-hmm. Sure. But why do an animated Star Trek? It takes longer. It mm-hmm. costs more. You don't get to see humans on screen. You get to see drawings on screen. Yeah. And a big part of Star Trek is seeing those actors. Like, is animated sci-fi as magical as live action sci-fi? You have mm-hmm. to wonder. Right. And for me, the kind of goal was the show has to feel as special animated as the original did for live action. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah. in live action, the reason they did beaming was because it was too expensive to do shuttles, right? Right. And the the beaming effect is glitter in a mason jar that they swirl and they hold a, they hold a, uh, a flashlight underneath and then they superimpose it over. Brilliant. And That, when you're watching it, is so unexpected and such a brilliant effect and decision that it the beaming effect itself feels like a character, just like how the Enterprise feels like a character. Mm -hmm. So mixing all of that together for animation for Star Trek is, how do we make it feel comedy? How do we make it feel as special as the original series? And then on top of that, what is our beaming? Like That was my thing is when, I think it was Max Fleischer... Uh, who did the original Superman cartoon. When they were doing the original, and if you still look it up, it looks gorgeous, hand-drawn Superman cartoon, they didn't have the time or the resources or the budget to make Superman jump over tall buildings in a single bound. So instead, they made him fly. And it's mm-hmm. because of that cartoon why Superman flies. Oh wow. And it's the coolest thing about Superman.
2: Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't
0: written into his like whatever. No, character he was really bio. good at jumping. <laughs> he was a guy from Krypton who flew that's through right. space and jumped. And and
3: for me, that was like, okay, now the coolest thing about Superman is that he can fly. Yeah. One of the coolest things about Star Trek is that they can beam. So I'm always pushing our animators to be like, okay, when we come up against a problem, when we come up against something that's hard, mm-hmm. I don't want to solve it by bumping up the budget I don't want to solve it by getting rid of it we got to have creative solutions Mm -hmm. that make you feel like we're finding those new things too a
0: a workaround that becomes like a little artistic treasure can you tell us one has there been a roadblock that you've solved creatively
3: how are we going to draw all these background characters that's like Mm -hmm. a busy like that has to feel like Starfleet is really populated and it's like really heavy lifting to like constantly be designing new 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 on every ship Mm because we visit a lot Mm -hmm. of ships and then at one point somebody was like wait we have a large animation crew. Why don't we start using their likenesses and just, and start letting them design themselves. So a lot of the crew and a lot of the world of the show is oh, the wow. crew making the show. And That's so like, really cool. you'll be seeing people that you work with every day who are like running during a red alert and stuff. And just for a moment, you're like, Oh, this feels good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it might not be something that translates a hundred percent to the audience because they're not working with them. But You know, and you don't want them distracting from the leads. Like, you don't want somebody to look so detailed that you're like, who the heck is that? But but I do think it, like, you know... It fits into the inclusiveness of Star Trek too. Mm-hmm. Like that, we're not just basically relying on, like, you know, the two background guys kind of thing. Yeah. So I think that's pretty cool. So
0: when you say using their likenesses, like they're animating themselves. They're drawing
3: themselves, wow. and then we're putting them in a Starfleet uniform.
0: That's very cool.
3: Yeah, it's really cool. That is are, really cool. Are people drawing
1: themselves more attractive than they actually mm, are? One question. million because percent. Because that's what great I would question. do. A- egregiously.
0: Yeah. <laughs> everyone just whittling their waistlines. They won't even put me in it because I'm not attractive enough. Oh, my Mike, come I, on. No, no, no. Write right, yourself into I it. I can be
3: a mean admiral at some point. Oh, That's yeah. what I've told them. I, can't wait. I come I, in and I go, shut this
0: down. Yeah. <laughs> I do want you to act on it because reading with you is so funny. <laughs> you need to do the voice acting for something. I think
3: they've solved the sound of my voice by the time Star Trek happens. There's it. a pill you can take. There's in, a
0: light you can wave over you. <laughs>
3: uh, There's a uh, uh, right when when you're born in the future, they they can like put you under a jaundice light with a little McMahon filter and it keeps you from sounding like this. Where is Lower Decks in the Trek timeline? So it takes place in 2380, which is right after the final TNG movie okay. and about five years before the events that start Picard. Okay. So Picard, yeah, I know. Right, I love it. I love it. So Picard takes place after a big event. So my I have about a four or five year gap where- Our guys can do stuff before that happens. Mm -hmm. And our show is very episodic. Mm -hmm. Uh, It has some serialized elements, but it really goes back to that kind of TNG, TOS vibe, just because that's kind of like what I like to write. And we also will jump back in time a little bit because another big benefit of writing a show about a less important ship and a less important crew is they might have been around the whole time. They might have been in the background of an episode that you've seen And you just didn't realize they were one of the people that just happened to be like, you don't see the entire crew, the entire episode all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we also invented a new class of ship for it called the California class that every ship is named after a different California city. So you've got the Fresno and you have the Sacramento and,
0: so funny to me growing up in California reading names of ships like the Merced. Uh, like Merced. <laughs> places that like you didn't love to anyone who grew up in these places. I grew up in a terrible California town too. As soon as you do like the USS Vacaville, I'm gonna be like, I'm out. We can't have this.
3: <laughs> oh, now we love seeing people with like like Merced like sticker on their car and stuff. Yeah. We're all like all the writers like take a photo of it from <laughs> and, yeah. uh, But these ships kind of like they feel like they've always been there, like they're kind of support crew. Mm-hmm. And they're and and the other TNG ships are all still there. They're all still doing their big things, but our guys kind of explain like our where our guys exist in that in the echelon of Starfleet. Actually, our characters call it the '80s because mm-hmm. they're in 2380. So, like, come on, it's the '80s. We shouldn't be doing that, you know. And <laughs> we go out of our way to make sure that it's like, okay, if this happened in this season of TNG, we are, we're not going to say that it's taking place during our show, mm-hmm. and that our characters are aware sometimes of other of other events, of other mm-hmm. episodes, because like everybody on Starfleet keeps logs. Sometimes in the first opening lines of the episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And who reads those logs? When are those logs put into the history books? When do they teach them at the academy? Yeah. So a lot of our guys in 2380 feel like they came directly from the 2370s. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you've seen TNG, the stuff they refer to, you're going to know all that stuff. It's yeah. it's really fun that's the most fun time period. I was so excited when I called dibs on that.
0: Yeah, yeah. When I was
3: like, wait, do I get to pick when this takes place? And they were like, well, which one do you want? I was like 2380.
0: You know, that's. <laughs> love that you knew instantly. That's my jam. <laughs> that's very cool. Well, Mike, thank you so much for sitting down and talking with us. This has been a delight, as it always is, to hang out with you.
3: It is a delight to talk with you guys about what we're going to fix. Just kidding. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Kirk can fly now because it was harder to draw him jumping.
0: I, I can't wait for flying, Kirk. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Thank you so much, you guys. Thank Thank you. you. Ah, what a delight. What a delight that fellow is.
0: What a sweet delight. Do you all love him as much as I do now? He's so
2: lovable.
0: He's a lovable boy. I want to pick him up and squeeze him. He's a good boy who loves
1: Star Trek. He's a good boy
0: who loves Star Trek. Who's a good boy who
1: loves Star (laughs) Trek? (laughs) Who's a good boy who loves Star Trek? All right, I think we got to go.
0: Yeah, this is a Star (laughs) Trek podcast, clearly. Um... (laughs) Well, this has been fun.
1: Yeah. Thank you again to Mike McMahon. And if you like the show, please do rate, subscribe, review, uh, do all the things that you can do with the podcast because it really does help us out. It helps spread awareness of the show. And, and, um, you know, we'd like to keep doing it. So Mm -hmm. uh, thank you very much for listening and and don't be afraid to share it with people.
0: Yeah. Don't be afraid to share it with people. Actually be aggressive about sharing it with people. If you're uh, sitting with your mom or something, take her phone, smash the subscribe button. She'll never know. She probably doesn't listen to podcasts. Exactly. Anyone's phone who's around you. Go ahead and hit a subscribe for us.
1: Yes, you don't even have to go into settings and then uh, select download. Just hit subscribe. No, That's no, all no, that no, no, don't
0: fill up their phone. I'm not a monster. All
1: right, uh, thank you so much, everybody. We'll be back next time with more Star Trek: The Pod Directive.
0: Want more Trek?
1: If you live in the U.S., go to CBS All Access for classic episodes of Star Trek, the original series.
0: Star Trek The Next Generation.
1: Star Trek Deep Space Nine.
0: Star Trek Voyager. And
1: Star Trek Enterprise. And
0: new seasons of Star Trek Discovery. And Star Trek Picard. In Canada, watch Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Picard on Bell Media's CTV Sci-Fi channel.
1: Star Trek Discovery streams on Netflix in 188 countries. And
0: Star Trek Picard does the same on Amazon Prime.
1: Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. sonic the hedgehog a new hero arrives i am ready is there anyone stronger no tougher no funnier i do not make jokes i make warriors knuckles now streaming only on paramount plus yes cbs friday tv's hottest show is fire country i'm not a hero i'm in orange for a reason they're taking 12 months off your sentence you're free